Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch, rushing! Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. How should we project Cody Bellinger in 2024? I have no idea, so hopefully Scott does. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Tuesday, October 24th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we're moving on. Up to first base, we'll take a look at the top 10 first basemen from this past season and break down way too early 2024 rankings. Scott, for a few years now, it felt like there was maybe a bit of a lull at first base, not as many elite options up top as we were used to, I don't know, maybe a decade ago. But I think that might be changing. I think we might be back to a a bit of a juggernaut here at first base. Yeah, the position had a resurgence of sorts of sorts in 2023, and really it was in the second half of 2023. Because remember, at around the All Star break, we did a redraft for the rest of the season, and we were saying, "Wow, first base is scarce. You need to move up all the early round first basemen for this rest of season redraft." But then after that, we had Tristan Casas and Spencer Torkelson uh, begin to hit their stride. We had Bryce Harper gain eligibility at the position. We had Cody Bellinger gain eligibility at the position. And suddenly first base is looking very strong. You know, it's, it's hard to say first base is the strongest position. It's hard to say what position is the strongest, honestly, because I've, I've only ranked infielders so far. I've been working on outfielders recently, but not far enough into it yet to say how it stacks up. But across the infield positions, and even catcher, which we covered in in the last podcast, it, it, it seems like there's more than enough to go around. It, the, the hard part is going to be figuring out where you can get an advantage at these positions because 
it, it's not like you're going to left get left out in the cold in any of them, except in maybe deeper leagues. And I think that makes sense, right? Based on a lot of what we said throughout this past season was that outfield was not great, right? Outfield was not a very deep position, especially in leagues where you had to start five of them. So uh, that'll be interesting to see. Uh, I guess we can find out <laughs> from you soon how it was ranking outfielders, but it feels like that's not a very good position. Maybe infielders are great. You know, starting pitchers kind of weird. Um, but yeah, maybe, you know, just the infield positions will, uh, I don't know, we'll feel great about those heading into 2024. Let's take a look back at first base and uh, we'll run through the top 10 from this past season, starting with the top two who finished as top three overall players in Roto this season. We know Ronald Acuna was head and shoulders better than any other player, but then we get into Matt Olson, his teammate, second overall player in Roto this year. Of course, he was the number one first baseman. He was the third overall hitter in head-to-head points leagues, turns 30 years old in March, career year across the board, 283 batting average, 54 homers, 127 runs, 139 RBI. It almost, it sounds made up video game-like numbers. The 139 RBI led baseball by far. Pete Alonso was second with 118. You know, I'm trying to figure out how he did it, Scott. He just, he always hit the ball hard, but he took it to another level. He was just like in his own stratosphere in terms of how hard he was hitting the ball. The question is, where does he go from here? Because he did kind of overachieve the expected numbers. What are you expecting from Matt Olson? It's hard to believe he could do this again, like exactly this. No Brave had ever hit 54 home runs before. No Brave had ever driven in 139 runs before. So there was a never-before-seen quality to this Matt Olson scene, uh, season. And then you have the 127 RBI, the fact he ended up hitting 283. I think that's going to be the most surprising number of all because for most of the season, Matt Olson's batting average hovered around 250. It was 321 in the second half. That's what got him up in the 280s. And we saw the strikeout rate drastically improve in the second half. In Like, uh, what year was it? His last year in Oakland, so that would have been 2021, I guess. Sounds he right. Had, he had... Um, a much lower strikeout rate than we'd seen for Molson before. And we thought, okay, if he's able to keep that up, then we're, we're talking first round caliber hitter, but the strikeout rate regressed in his first season in Atlanta. And, and for the first half of 2023, it was also more typical of, of Matt Olson's whole career. But in the second half, his strikeout rate dropped to 18.4% to go along with that 321 batting average. That's close to that 16.8% mark he had in 2021. So I guess my point is, if if we're just talking about from a skills standpoint, Matt Olson didn't do anything that we hadn't seen from him before. But I, I just think like law of averages the fact that the the run and RBI accumulation was such an outlier and, you know, leading the majors in home runs, th- there just has to be some give in those areas. Braves lineup should still be great next year. Matt Olson, you know, maybe he can maintain a sub 20% strikeout rate again. But, like, those numbers just have to come down because there's no way they can be quite that good again. That doesn't mean he won't be a stud, but will he be the number two overall player in fantasy again? I think the odds are pretty low. Yeah, I think most people would bet against that. And the early ADP has him as like a 
you know, first round turn kind of player, you know, anywhere from like 11 through 14, something like that. Yeah, that's where I, I see him too. Yeah, which I think is fair for Matt Olson. And it's like, yes, the counting stat should come back, but think about the rest of that lineup. They're all yeah. still really young and still really awesome. So again, it's it should come back, but I don't know. If you're betting on anybody to put up 250 runs plus RBI, Matt Olson is probably the best bet heading into 2024. Freddie Freeman, which would, which would still be a decline of yeah. uh, 16 combined runs in RBI to, to get him down to 250. Yeah, I mean, that just shows you how ridiculous it was. <laughs> it, it really was. Number two first baseman from this past season was Freddie Freeman, the third overall player in Roto. He was the second overall hitter in head to head points leagues. Now 34 years old, but I don't think it really matters. He just arguably had the best fantasy season of his career, batting 331. That was third best in all of baseball. 29 home runs, 131 runs scored, second in all of baseball, 102 RBI, 23 steals, which was a career high for Freddie Freeman, one of the most durable players in the game. He has missed, think about this, 11 games over his past six seasons. 11 games in six seasons. That's all Freddie Freeman has missed. He is, if you just want the safest player possible in the first half of the first round, it's Freddie Freeman. And I, I can't really find a, a debate against it, Scott. Yeah. I mean, he, he's the safest bet for batting average in baseball still. Uh, and as much as we gushed over... Freddie uh, over Matt Olson's combined run and RBI production. Freddie Freeman's kind of got the same thing going on, batting second in the Dodgers lineup. He scored 131 runs, actually for more than Olson. 102 RBI, which doesn't come close to 139, I guess, but it's still 102 RBI for a guy who scored 131 runs. The fact that the stolen base thing for him has now been a two-season development, it's not just an isolated incident for Freddie Freeman. I think, I think we can count on it being a part of his profile, at least for the near future. And um, yeah, he just feels incredibly safe. It's hard to say you that like what, what would be too early to draft Freddie Freeman? I, I don't think we can say at this point that any pick would be too early. I guess maybe drafting him over Acuna would be ridiculous. But if, if somebody wanted to take Freddie Freeman second overall, I, I don't rank him that high. I, I, I think there are some more prolific base dealers that belong ahead of him in 5x5 uh, in five five scoring. But in points scoring, do I have him second in points scoring? I can't remember if I have him or Mookie Betts second. But like it's, it's, the point is it's justifiable from Freeman because you know exactly what he's... You, you know he's maybe the least likely first rounder to fall short of first round production and it's uh you know what we're saying he was the third best hitter in roto this past year i think he was second best or maybe was he third best also i think he was third best in back-to-back years i think goldschmidt was second best last year Mm -hmm. behind uh, aaron judge yeah just so incredibly safe i I agree with you i think in roto leagues i probably would want to take one of acuna julio rodriguez and bobby witt up at the top three i've kind of made my case against Corbin Carroll. We'll see where I fall, uh, you know, once the calendar turns next year. But I, I think as early as fourth overall, you can make that case for uh, for Freddie Freeman heading into 2024. And uh, yeah, you could probably take him second overall in a head-to-head points league. Let's move By on. the way, I just thought of something funny. 
so I, I said no brave in history had hit more than the 54 home runs Matt Olson hit this past year. It's the Braves record, which, you know, franchise record, what does that mean really? Well, the Braves are an organization that have been around, you know, since like the 1800s, right? And they're the organization that had both Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth play for them. <laughs> and, uh, and yet Matt Olson is the franchise record holder. Single season home runs. Granted, Babe Ruth, it was at the it was the very last year of his career and he was basically horrible then. But technically true that he played in the Braves organization. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it's pretty crazy stuff. You know, if you look at Hank Aaron, just like his yearly home run totals, it's just it's more that he played for as long as he did. It's not like he ever put up that crazy, you know, 50, 60 home run season. It's just like forty after forty after forty, um, for Hank Aaron. So uh, yeah, good point by you, and awesome season from Matt Olson. Number three first baseman was Cody Bellinger, who also has outfield eligibility. Huge bounce-back season entering this year. We didn't really know what to do with Cody Bellinger. Was there anything left in the tank? His ADP was 187.8, so uh, I think truly one of the premier league winners uh, in fantasy baseball this past season. Finished as the 12th overall player in just 130 games, 3.8 fantasy points per game. That was third best among first basemen this season as well. Turns 29 years old uh, next July, so he's pretty much in the prime of his career. He hit 307 with 26 homers, 95 runs, 97 RBI, 20 steals, and 881 OPS. Five-category contributor, and that's the end of my analysis, Scott. I don't know what to say about Cody Bellinger. The one thing that stands out is, okay, he lowered the strikeout rate tremendously. He got it back to a similar mark to his MVP season in 2019. Everything else, I can't figure it out. The quality of contact by every metric that we look at was awful. What do we say about Cody Bellinger? Yeah, you're asking if I can predict what's going to happen for Cody Bellinger next year. And he's a free agent I, I, on top of all that. So Yeah, so just an, an added variable there. I don't think any can, anybody can predict what comes next for Cody Bellinger. Anyone who says they can is lying. We're all just kind of guessing. I'm fairly optimistic because he has the track record he does. Well, I guess that could be a positive or a negative, but I guess because we've seen MVP caliber production from him in the past, we know he has that. And we know he has the makings of that. And because there was really no slippage in production over the course of the season. In fact, for as for as so-so as the stat cast metrics appear for Cody Bellinger, they did get better over the course of the year. Like they began to catch up to the actual production as opposed to the production dropping down to the stack cast numbers. But he was, he was one of the biggest overachievers statistically. There's no way around that. And how much did playing at Wrigley field with you know, the, the the way it's outfield fences are, and of course the way the wind can aid home runs so often. Maybe just he maybe he just really felt comfortable there, and that's that helped him bounce back to this level of production. It's it's hard to say. Certainly, if he ends up signing somewhere that is considered not so favorable of a place to hit, we'll we'll have to look on him with even more skepticism. But you mentioned the strikeout rate being down. That helps his chances of contributing a batting average like he did this year. Uh, he was a 20-steal guy. 
So even if he falls a little short in terms of power production, he's capable of contributing in enough ways that I don't think it's going to be a total loss. But then again, you can't look past what happened to him between 2020 and 2021, where he was basically useless in fantasy. Really hard to figure out what went right for him this year, just as it was hard to figure out what went wrong for him the previous three years. The early indications are that these are the teams that will have interest in Cody Bellinger, the Cubs, the Giants, the Padres, and the Yankees. Obviously, the Giants with that you know big right field. I don't, I don't uh-huh. think we would love that, but the Cubs. love the Padres either. The Cubs, Yankees would be fantastic. Yeah, the Yankees, and I don't think there would be much pressure on him either because obviously there's another MVP candidate and, and Aaron Judge in that lineup, and you know they've got a few other guys like Labor Torres is fine. So I, I don't think there would be this huge pressure on him if he wound up with the Yankees. The Padres' ballpark is not great, but that's another situation where there's so many other great hitters there. I think it could help, you know, propel him. So, I don't know. The only one that really kind of stands out to me as a negative is San Francisco. So, we'll see here uh, with Cody Bellinger in the offseason. The number four first baseman was Pete Alonzo. He finished 26 overall in Roto. He was the third best first baseman in head-to-head points leagues. He turns 29 years old in December, and he wound up hitting 217 with 46 home runs, 118 RBI, and 821 OPS. And uh, the real thing that stands out here is his BABIP plummeted, 205 BABIP this past season. He did hit more fly balls than ever before. He had the lowest line drive rate of his career. So some of those things correlate to a low BABIP, but not that low. 205 is like incredibly low. He also missed some time with... uh, getting hit by a pitch on his wrist. And when he came back, he really wasn't great for a while after that. My guess is the batting average will bounce back here for Pete Alonso, and we get a pretty Pete Alonso-esque season next year as well. Yeah, I think so too. And the batting average is the only thing you can knock for him. He still hit 46 home runs. I, I think it's still a pretty close call between him and uh, Matt Olson. They've kind of traded off which of the two is the preeminent slugger at first base over the past four years. Pete Alonso doesn't have the supporting cast Matt Olson does. And and so like I'm definitely going to draft Olson ahead of Alonso, but would it surprise me if Alonso finished the year with the better batting average and or home run total? Wouldn't surprise me at all. So I don't think they should be drafted too many too too far apart from each other. All right. The number five first baseman was Christian Walker, who finished 29th overall in Roto, the fourth best first baseman in head-to-head points leagues. He will turn 33 years old. In March, so before opening day next year, he hit 258 with 33 homers, 86 RBI, 103 RBI. I said RBI twice. That would have been 86 runs scored, excuse me. 11 steals and an 830 OPS. Pretty much identical seasons between 2022 and 2023. He increased the batting average. You know, he stole a few more bases here. I have no reason to actually believe Christian Walker is going to fall off, Scott, but. At 33 years old, it just kind of feels like one of those situations where you want to get out one year early before that kind of decline starts yeah. to happen. I don't know. Again, there's no reason for me to believe that's going to happen, but he's just kind of getting up there a little bit in age. Well, Christian Walker was the winner of the Oops, I Did It Again award <laughs> for 2023, which would make him the inaugural winner. Uh, so, I, I mean... From that perspective, well, you're just following into the same trap that so many did this year, Frank, by doubting yeah. Christian Walker. He's he's proven it twice over, right? But I kind of agree with you. 
<laughs> he's, you know, entering his mid-30s. And although the production was the same, the average exit velocity dropped two miles per hour from one year to the next. Now, max exit velocity actually went up some, which I think is more important when you're gauging a player's power potential. Uh, strikeout rate held steady. The the drop in exit velocity was a little weird, but I don't know what to say about it other than that. I don't it it doesn't look like a clear uh, a clear depiction of decline for Christian Walker when you know sizing up everything else. So I don't want to make too much of that. Uh, as for whether it's time to to get out, as you say, get out at the risk of. Uh, you know, hold wait at the risk of buying in a year too late. It kind of depends where he's going, right? Yeah. Like exactly. I, I don't think I don't think he's gonna be drafted as high as fifth at first base. I, I know he's not gonna be drafted as high as fifth at first base because there are a couple of obvious players who will go ahead of him who we haven't talked about yet. So he might not be drafted that much earlier than next year, just given the surplus of alternatives at the position. In which case, I don't know that you need to be so careful. I'm not, I'm not saying you should hold out at first base because you know you could fall back on Christian Walker later. But um, if he's going in round eight or nine, I'm not going to be afraid to take him, that's for sure. Yeah, there's only been two drafts done over at the NFBC, but the early indication is around the 80s, 80 to 90 range for Christian Walker, which... It actually sounds pretty good to me. So again, I agree with you. I think it comes down to the market, right? Like if he was a top 60 pick, I'd say, oh, that's probably too early for Christian Walker. But if he's going 25 picks after that and you're just try trying to play the value game and okay, you want to take a second baseman early, outfielder early, starting pitcher, whatever it might be. And then, okay, you get to the seventh, eighth, ninth round and Christian Walker is the best available. Then yeah, I think that's probably a, a perfectly fine place to draft him again next season. Let's take our first break. When we return... We'll get back into the top 10 finishers from 2023. We'll do that right after this. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back in. A little peek behind the curtain, but we are recording this a few days in advance, so no news and notes, no playoff updates for now. We'll do that later on in the week when I... Uh, 
when we talk first base prospects. Let's get back into the top 10 finishers from this past season. The number six first baseman was Yandy Diaz, 37th overall in Roto, the sixth best first baseman in head-to-head points leagues. Does not turn 33 until August of next year. So... Seems all right for now. Uh, career highs across the board, batting 330 with 22 home runs, 95 runs scored, a 932 OPS, which was seventh best in all of baseball. Now, here's where I'd like to caution you on Yandy Diaz. 12 of his first 22 home runs came in uh, the first two months of the season when his ground ball rate was 45.5% over the final four months when he hit his final 10 home runs. His ground ball rate was 55%, and that's much more like the Yandy Diaz we've seen uh, in years past. Obviously, Scott, it's going to come down to where he's being drafted next year, so I don't really want to say I'm just completely out on Yandy Diaz. He's a much better points league and OBP player, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think what we saw over the final four months is probably more of what we should expect. Yeah, I agree. He couldn't sustain that improved launch angle for long, and that's always been the issue for Yanti Diaz. Uh, and, and, you know, part of it too, as you mentioned, career highs across the board, basically, specifically the 22 home runs, the 330 batting average, those both see seem to be the upper limits of what Yanti Diaz is capable of reaching. And for him to have done it as a 31 year old, he turned 32 late in the year, actually. Uh, that doesn't, you know, br- breakout seasons are not, what you expect from 32 year olds. Like he's in the downswing of his career. Like durability isn't a strong suit. And he plays for the Rays who more than any other organization, I guess maybe the giants, you could argue they're not inclined to stick with any one hitter every day. Any amount of slippage there for Yandy Diaz could bump him from the lineup sometimes. So there are playing time issues on top of everything else. And I guess issues isn't the right word. They're playing time questions along with everything else. But more than anything, it's just I don't trust him to deliver on those 22 home runs again. So I think there are other first basemen we'd rather have who we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, to be clear, Diaz crushes the ball. 93.4 average exit velocity. That's 98th percentile. The problem, again, is he always hits a lot of ground balls. And, you know, I, I said I expect what he did over the final four months is more of what I should expect. He was still really, really good. He hit 339 with a, a 903 OPS, but more of like a 15 to 18 home run pace, which I think is probably what I would project for uh, Yandy Diaz next season. The number seven first baseman was Paul Goldschmidt. He finished 45th overall in Roto. He was the ninth best first baseman <laughs> in head-to-head points leagues. He is entering his age 36 season. He hit 268 with 25 home runs, 89 run score, 80 RBI, 11 steals, and an 810 OPS, which was his lowest since his rookie season. You know, we did see the, the strikeout rate kind of prop up a little bit here, Scott. And But outside of that, I mean, the quality of contact was still really good. In fact, average exit velocity, barrel rate, hard hit rate were all better than Paul Goldschmidt's 2022 when he was the number two overall player in Roto. So I know he's old, and obviously there is a risk there, but... I think my early lean is that he could actually bounce back at least a little bit based on what he did this past season. Oh, he could for sure. Yeah, I mean the if 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 we think stat cast readings are a better indicator of pure skill, then he didn't lose much from his 
MVP winning 2022 season to 2023, where he was mostly a disappointment, uh, a disappointment for fantasy. So yeah, he could bounce back. I think as a general rule, it's unwise to count on a 36 year old. That's what will be at the start of next season to bounce back. It's happened before. Uh, remember Joey Votto had a great MVP caliber return late in his career in his late thirties. And, you know, Paul Goldschmidt isn't as far removed from that as Votto time. So it could happen. I just wonder if it's like, if we should take this season as a warning, you know, because we say, okay, the stack has indicators from are, are still basically the same from 2022. Well, he overachieved in 2022, according to Statcast. So we're, we're willing to look the other way then because the, the production was so good and because he's Paul Goldschmidt, but um, maybe just by virtue of that, we shouldn't have been surprised by the decline we saw in 2023. I mean, he hit 268. His expected batting average was 267. He he slugged 447. His expected slug was 46. Okay, so that was a little bit under. But the point is, just because the data was similar to 2022 doesn't mean that the production deserve to be as good as 2022 you know yeah and more likely than not you know age 36 season are the skills going to improve or are they going to get worse more likely they're going to get worse maybe there will be some bounce back in the production i I don't have them buried in my rankings or anything but I, i i don't consider paul goldschmidt a top tier first baseman for next year i would agree with that but would you agree scott that Based on the stat cast readings from this past season, he should have had a better season. Obviously not as good as 2022, but maybe closer to 30 home runs. And the counting stats were kind of weird because obviously the Cardinals, you know, they underachieved this year as a team and, you know, they were kind of out of it by like August. So I don't know, maybe that kind of factored into the the team's overall output as well. But I can't mm-hmm. I kind of feel like he should have been closer to like a 30 home run, maybe, you know, 95 run, 100 RBI kind of hitter. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just making the, yeah, no, the positive I mean, case for him. Like I said, he was about 40 points, 40, yeah, 40 points under his expected slug. So give him an extra 40 points of slug. Does that translate to five more homers or whatever? Probably. But it is interesting that the second half splits were so much worse than the first. If you buy the idea that he's on the decline, you know, that kind of backs up that idea. Mm-hmm. I just, I, you know, I, I, I thought I was going to be more optimistic about Goldschmidt than it turned out I was when I dug into the numbers more. I'm a little, I'm a little worried that uh, that it, this is just the start of a decline as opposed to being a blip. And I'm just completely playing devil's advocate because I don't know that I'm going to draft a lot of Paul Goldschmidt next year, but uh, you know, just for the sake of uh, I guess his Statcast numbers making the case for him. The number eight first baseman from this past season was Spencer Steer, who will have first base eligibility again in 2024. He finished as the 49th overall player in Roto, the eighth best first baseman in head-to-head points leagues. He turns 26 years old in December, so smack right there in the middle of his prime years. He hit 271 with 23 home runs, 86 RBI, 15 steals, 
and an 820 OPS. Very solid plate discipline across the board. 10% walk rate, 21% strikeout rate. Does not hit the ball hard at all, but he kind of does the the pull side thing. 19 of his yep. 23 home runs went to the pull side this past year. He is much better against lefties than he is against righties. Uh, I know you've kind of shared some skepticism in Spencer Steer. Again, it'll come down to like what the market says and, and what the ADP is. But my early lean is I kind of like the player. I, I like the plate discipline. I like the power and speed. And I like the lineup. I, I think they're all just going to kind of get better together. So I don't know. What are your thoughts on Spencer Steer? Yeah, I mean, it could go that way. But I do think there are a lot of a lot of ways things could go wrong for Spencer Steer, too. I mean, the best thing he has going for him is that he's triple eligible. He's got first base, he's got third base, he's got outfield. And, and not many players of his stature are going to have that. Uh, he also plays in the most homer-friendly park. So that can help to mask his deficiencies, his skill deficiencies, let's say. Uh, it, it, it For what it's worth, it didn't so much matter this past year. His, I, I think he actually hit more home runs on the road than at home. But in the long run, that's probably not going to be the trend. Probably he will hit more home runs at home than on, on the road. And as I said, that'll help make up for the, the low exit velocities. Maybe my biggest concern for Spencer Steer, even more than just the regression that the data says will happen is that he plays for a team that is breaking in what looks like a lot of young studs offensively all across the infield. They had Ellie De La Cruz taking over as their shortstop. They had uh, Noel V. Marte taking over as their third baseman. They had Matt McClain taking over as their second baseman. They got Christian Encarnacion Strand taking over as their first baseman. They are all more talented, just in terms of raw talent, I would say, than Spencer Steer. So he's been bumped out of the out the, the out of the infield completely by those four. I haven't even mentioned Jonathan India. Who knows if he's going to be back next year for the Reds, but if he is, presumably they'll need to find at-bats for him somewhere as well. So Spencer Steer did get a lot of time in left field later in the year after all those players were called up, but it's not like... I mean, the Reds have a lot of interesting players in the outfield too. I, I don't think... I, I don't think they outclass Steer on a pure talent level the way those infielders do, but... They're good enough to deserve at-bats. So is it possible that Spencer Steer becomes more of a utility player who starts more often than not, but not quite every day? That seems like a possibility to me, particularly if there's any slippage in the production, like the data says there could be. So that's my biggest concern with him and why I don't think, I mean, I don't think anybody is going to draft him number eight at first base because we still haven't gotten to Bryce Harper or, or uh, you know, a few others who obviously deserve to go ahead of Spencer Steer. But uh, I, I, I think, I think, I don't know. He might be even lower for me than he is for some other people. Those are all fair points, and the fact that they have two outfielders who are they look like strict platoon players in Will Benson and, and Jake Fraley. 
Spencer Steer, much better against left-handed pitching this season. 313 batting average, 928 OPS. And against righties, he hit 256 with a 780 OPS. With all that being said, I think there's a pretty good chance that they move Jonathan India this offseason and they don't bring back Joey Votto. And if that's the case, then I think there's just a pretty clear opening at DH for Spencer Steer. Or, you know, they can move him around in the outfield, whatever it might be. Yeah, prob- probably they would move Steer around and give other players days off at DH. Yeah. But if that happens, I, I think we'll feel a little bit better about his playing time. But obviously, we have all offseason to figure that out for him as well. Justin Turner was the ninth, ninth best first baseman, 50th overall in Roto. Uh, getting up there in age quite a bit. Turns 39 <laughs> years old in November. But it didn't matter this year. Turn back the clocks a little bit. Hit 276 with 23 home runs, 86 runs, 96 RBI, four steals, and an 800 OPS. He does have a player option worth $13.4 million. And for the sake of what he just did, I really hope he returns to Boston because he took advantage of the Green Monster in a big way. He put up a career-high 41% pull rate. He also hit 293 at Fenway Park. Uh, doesn't hit the ball all that hard, but obviously makes a lot of contact. I just, I just think, Scott, like so many people are going to, I don't know, Probably fade Justin Turner. You'll be able to get him as like a corner infielder again or a utility bat and because he's older and that's fine. But as long as he's in Boston, I think he's still going to be pretty productive. Well, I'm going to be among those fading Justin Turner. You (laughs) mentioned he's getting up there in years. He turns 39 this offseason. And I I don't think anybody thought he was going to bounce back with these kinds of numbers uh, after the way his last season with the Dodgers went. He looks like he had already, he, he was already sliding pretty hard into into old age. Uh, I will also point out that while overall the numbers were very strong from Justin Turner, obviously they made him a top 10 first baseman. There were problems toward the end. He had pretty bad uh, plantar fascia issue, wasn't that it? Plantar fasciitis? I know uh, it was labeled as like a heel injury, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was he a could, he could hardly issues. play the field by the end of the year. Um, had some real problems with mobility. It was an issue. It was a whole thing, and uh, had a pretty terrible September. Which isn't to say like that's going to be his problem next year. But when you're 39 years old, like that stuff is going to happen more frequently, and I doubt. I doubt he ever gets as many as 558 at-bats again. I mean, shoot, that was a career high. He got his career high in at-bats <laughs> at age 38. Yeah, that seems uh, like an I think it's pretty safe to say <laughs> that he won't get that many at-bats again. And I don't know. I mean, the, player op- the, the, the option to return to the Red Sox is Justin Turner's decision. Player option, $13 million. Does he think he can get more than that on the open market after the year he just had? Maybe. Oh, I mean, goodness, it's a $6.7 million buyout. So, and it's a player option, really? That's what it said. Why why wouldn't he take the near $7 million and then test the open market? Uh, Yeah, I mean, if that is the case. If I'm reading, if I understand the terms correctly here. uh, Are you looking at spot track? I'm looking at baseball reference. Yeah, it says 2024 player option contains a $6.7 million buyout. Yeah, that's what it. It says it on spot track as well. Right. So 
And 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 look, I mean, he he helped he helped the Red Sox break in Tristan Casas this year, but we think Tristan Casas is ready to run now, right? Yeah. Like he doesn't need he doesn't need any breaking in anymore. Meanwhile, they introduced Willier Abreu. They introduced Sedan Rafaela at the end of the year. Their outfield is going to get Jaron Duran back. I think they kind of need to move Masataka Yoshida over to DH full-time to accommodate all those outfielders. So I I don't know that the at-bats are really there for Justin Turner. So I, it wouldn't surprise me if he, le- if he left the Red Sox at all. I, I think his best scenario in fantasy is coming back, but I don't think that's at all a given. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's not in my top 20 for next year at mm. first base. TBH. Even though he was just top 10, he's not in my top 20. Yeah, I mean, all fair points. Yeah, I mean, the Red Sox have a lot of young kids that it looks like they need to get at bats as well. So we will find out where Justin Turner is playing next year. Um, but if he is back with Boston for whatever reason, I think I would be kind of intrigued at the right price, obviously, like outside the top 200, whatever. I mean, you can draft anybody at that point, right? The number 10 first baseman this past season was Bryce Harper, who made the transition uh, obviously started the year as the DH coming back from that uh, elbow surgery and uh, then eventually took over as the first baseman. He finished 54th overall in Roto in just 126 games, just turned 31 years old last uh, week. Um, but obviously we're not worried about age. The guy is still awesome. He hit 293 with 21 home runs, 11 steals, a 900 OPS, and he just flipped a power switch in August over the final two months mm-hmm. He hit 16 home runs with a 1067 OPS and a 21% barrel rate, which was second best in MLB during that span. Uh, I I still think he's totally fine and he's going to be worthy of like a second round pick next year. I agree. I mean, the fact he missed the first month of this season because he was recovering from Tommy John surgery came back quicker than any player has ever come back from Tommy John surgery. And so it clearly limited his power production over the first three months he was there. So missed a month, was not himself for the next three months, only became himself for the final two months. And yet he was still a top 10 first baseman in fantasy. I mean, that that says a lot right there. Of course, what we've seen from him this postseason, you, you wonder how he doesn't hit 50 home runs every year because it just looks like he can do it whenever he wants to do it. Seems to have that superhuman quality that uh, we've seen for very few players over the years. Uh, But in addition to that, you know, he's a viable base stealer. He is an incredibly disciplined hitter, almost always has an on-base percentage over 400, which helps to boost him in points leagues even further. There's, There's an impact in Roto Leagues too on runs scored, but like there's just... He's just one of those hitters who does everything well, and um, he's going to get pushed into round two, but it wouldn't be at all surprising if he performed like a first-rounder next year. All right, let's take our final break, and when we return, an early look at 2024 rankings here on Fantasy Baseball Today. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. 
The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Never too early for 2024 rankings. Let's take a look at first base and the top five for next season, according to Scott White. Number one is Freddie Freeman, followed by Matt Olson, Bryce Harper, Pete Alonso, and a name we have not mentioned yet today, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who I'm sure will be a very polarizing player this offseason. He finished as the 62nd overall player in Roto, turns 25 years old in March. He, he is in the prime of his career, and I don't want to write off a soon-to-be 25-year-old but man, 2021 just looks like the clear outlier at this point. His OPS by year, 772, 791, 1002, 818, 788. One of those things is not like the other, Scott. And it turns out that was the year where he played in multiple minor league ballparks, which were extremely hitter friendly. So again, I, I don't want to count out the possibility of him bouncing back and being like a top 10 to 15 player. I think that's possible, but yeah, it looks like everything is kind of working against him right now. Well, I think the, 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 the biggest wrinkle to what you just laid out there is the data, right? What Statcast says he should be. He was the winner of the biggest underachiever award for 2023 was Vladimir Guerrero because his batting average was, 37 points, or sorry, 27 points below his expected batting average, 264 versus 291. He slugged 444 compared to 494, 50 points less <coughs> than his expected slug. And, you know, if, if you're looking at, an, at ex-WOBA, uh, the gap between that amazing 2021 season and 2023 was actually about the same as the gap between 2023 and 2022. Like 2022 was the lowest, and yet his production took another step back in 2023, even though um, the data all said he should have been much closer to a first-round caliber bat, much closer to that uh, that 2022 performance when he was the best player in fantasy. He has a long career ahead of him, and the skills are obvious by all that red on the StatCast page. So to say Vladimir Guerrero is never going to have another year like that 2021 season, I think is, I think it's foolhardy. But I can't honestly sit here and say after the way the last two years have gone that 
that's who he'll be in 2024. I have to lean no. So it's it's going to be divisive. He's going to be a divisive player for this upcoming season, as you already said. From what I've observed, and I I haven't I haven't studied the very few mock drafts that are out there as closely as you have, but from just by gauge just by taking the pulse of people who are really into fantasy baseball. I think that's going to be the stock opinion for next year. That, yeah, we think Vladimir Guerrero is really talented, but he's burned us twice in a row and burned us especially badly this past year. So I don't want to be too invested in him. I mean, 3.03 points per game from Vladimir Guerrero. Spencer Steer was 2.99. I mean, it wasn't... He was a, he was a lot closer to the Spencer Steers and... and uh, Alec Bohm was 2.92. He was much closer to that, those guys in terms of per-game per production, Vladimir Guerrero, this past year than he was to you know, the high-end types like Cody Bellinger or certainly Matt Olson or Freddie Freeman. So like, he really let us down. And I think people are fearful of making a big investment in him again. So at what point, I mean, I'm ranking him fifth here, obviously. We, Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, they're first-rounders, or at least borderline first-rounders in Olsen's case. Harper, second-round. Pete Alonzo, I'm saying, is second-round. So when when would I actually take Vladimir Guerrero? When would you take Vladimir Guerrero? Round three? Probably. Probably, probably somebody's going to take him there. And they may get a huge value. Uh, he didn't perform quite like a third-rounder this past year, for what it's worth. So it, it's it's possible that could still be... a bad use of a third round pick but how 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 far are you willing to let him drop i can't imagine it being much further than that yeah it's a great question and again it's we're working off a very small sample size so far of average draft position uh data from nfbc but the early indicators 29.5 for vlad jr which puts him right in the middle of the third round so yeah that's that's my leaning, and I, I don't know exactly who's going to be drafted around him. I think Marcus Simeon's going to go in that same range. Uh, probably Bo Bichette, his teammate. They both underwhelmed this past year. They'll, he'll probably go about in that same range. Well, I, shoot, I have him ranked ahead of Cody Bellinger, but I, I, get, I think it's an honest question. Would you rather have Vladimir Guerrero or Cody Bellinger next year? He'll probably go in that same range. Uh, it's, it's a tough one. Yeah, it's so fun to look at this early ADP. I mean, look, things are going to change drastically. I understand that. But just to give you an example, Cody Bellinger is going uh, almost 30 picks later on average than Vlad Jr. And you know who's going at the same exact spot? Royce Lewis, the same <laughs> spot as Vlad Jr., which, man, people love them some Royce Lewis. Yeah, He's a fun player, but, yeah. oh, man, it's... We'll, uh, we'll talk about that at third base. Yes, um, <laughs> it's crazy. I was convinced to move him up some from my initial inclination, Royce Lewis. But I'm, I'm st- I still don't have him as high as some of people seem to. Third round for him seems very, very optimistic. Yes. Uh, by the way, there, there's really no argument. Olsen finished ahead of Freddie Freeman this year, but there's really no argument for drafting Olsen ahead of Freeman next year, right? Be hard. It'd be hard to make it. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't make that argument again. It's like Freddie Freeman is just. So safe. And for me, and I think there's a lot of people who think this way when they draft is the early rounds, they really just don't want to lose their draft. And I'm not going to, I'm not saying Matt Olson is going to do that, but there is no one safer than Freddie Freeman. So if you just want that safety, I, 
I, yeah, I think he's absolutely like a top five to seven pick, regardless of format this year. Uh, six through 10 in your early first base ranks, you have Cody Bellinger followed by Paul Goldschmidt, Christian Walker. Here's a fun one. Tristan Casas, ninth. And then Yandy Diaz at number 10. Uh, Tristan Casas, by the way, turns 24 years old in January. He hit 263 with 24 home runs in 856 OPS. And that is despite getting off to a pretty slow start. If you look at what he did uh, over the final four months of the season, Tristan Casas hit 299 with 18 home runs and a 953 OPS. He absolutely crushes the ball. So some people might hear this guy and say, whoa, top 10 Tristan Casas. But I think he's absolutely deserving of it. Yeah, it's it's kind of an optimistic ranking. You gave the numbers over the final four months. If you just want to do second half numbers for Tristan Casas, he slashed 317, 417, 617. <laughs> he was basically who we dreamed Vinny Pasquantino would be this year. Uh, he did lose at-bats to left-handed pitchers, but the exposure to them increased as the year went on. And uh, I, 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 I think it's a slam dunk. He'll be an everyday player for the Red Sox next year. So I'm ranking him ninth, and I think he's going to be the next great player at the position. I mean, come next year, come this time next year, we might be talking about Tristan Casas as a round two pick. I think that's within his skill set. You know, just looking at the plate discipline and the quality of contact, you know who he looks a lot like? Matt Olson. <laughs> that's exactly who well, he looks like, right? Okay. I've made Freddie Freeman comparisons to him in the past. I think the strikeout rate is a little bit too high, right? The 25% yeah. strikeout rate. But, you know, that yeah. was kind of like a prime Matt Olsen. I, I think Casas could hit for a little bit better, you know, 250, 260. Olsen had a lot of like 240 seasons and stuff. But, yeah, I think like an early season, uh, early career Matt Olsen, you know, 250, 260, 40 plus home runs. I, I think that's doable for Tristan Casas. 11 through 15 in the rankings. Spencer Torkelson followed by Spencer Steer. All right, back-to-back Spencers. Vinny Pasquantino. Wait, do I have it? Oh, man, I don't have it loaded up, but I'll have to get it. Vinny P. I don't remember what it was. Vinny P, baby. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Number 14 is Josh Naylor. Number 15 is Christian Encarnacion Tran. So lots of names here that we have not talked about, Scott. Lots of uh, pretty young names as well. Guys to be really interested in. Vinny Pasquantino, he's coming back from the torn labrum in his uh, right shoulder. Josh Naylor broke out in a big way. Christian Encarnacion Strand finished incredibly strong. Spencer Torkelson got to 30 home runs. I mean, this is a really, really fun group. And this begins the stretch of first baseman that I'm not, I'm not, not very confident what order to put them in. Uh, Spencer Torkelson, he has some obvious drawbacks. I mean, he took a big step forward in the second half, sort of like Tristan Casas did. But he he is severely limited by his home park. And that's not changing anytime soon. Uh, home for, for Spencer, like, if okay, let me put it this way. Spencer Torkelson played every game on the road. He, he would probably rank ahead of Christian Walker. I think his upside is limited to be being basically Christian Walker at, with his home park. He hit 11 home runs at home versus 20 on the road, just to to sum it up in one stat. Uh, so I think that limits his his. I think that limits Spencer Torkelson's upside to being Christian Walker. When if he played most anywhere else, maybe he'd have the upside of like a Pete Alonso. 
Uh, I think that home park's going to rob him of as maybe as many as 10 home runs a year. But he showed he is powerful enough to uh, to still be an impact fantasy performer there. In the second half, he had 19 home runs. So, you know, that's just in two and a half months' time. He, he really did seem to take a step forward and show the upside that made him the first overall pick in 2020. But there are only such heights he can, he can achieve playing half his games at Comerica Park. Um, who else do we want to talk about here? Uh, Vinny Pasquantino, obviously, he's coming back from the shoulder. You know, sometimes I worry, not every shoulder injury is created the same, but I worry sometimes coming back from the shoulder injury that it could sap him of some of the power, and he already has a pretty bad home ballpark in Kansas City as well, so... Yeah. I don't know, a little bit skeptical on, uh, I guess, Vinny P. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure how exactly to account for all that either, because... You know, torn labrum. We've we, in the shoulder. We've seen we've seen players come back from that with no issue at all. But that is that is a difficult joint to rehabilitate because there it has such a wide range of motion that surgeries on it are never straightforward, as on the elbow, for instance. And uh, you know, it seemed like it may be it may be cause Fernando Tatis some power coming back from that. But I keep coming back to what Vinny Pasquantino was doing early in the year. Through May 10th, he was slashing 298, 383, 539, had more walks than strikeouts, and was basically everything we hoped he'd be. The numbers didn't end up there, but I, and, and we don't know exactly when the shoulder problem started for him, but we know it wasn't classified as a torn labrum at first. It was um, defined as something more vague, and he was kind of in and out of the lineup for a while, and then he got shut down with this. So... I think that brought his numbers down in that what we saw through May 10th was really the true Pasquantino. And so I'm hoping he'll bounce back to that. Clearly, I'm not totally sure he will, which is why I rank him as low as 13th. But I'm ranking him ahead of Josh Naylor. And I mean, it's a close call probably between him and Josh Naylor. I'm ranking him ahead of Josh Naylor because I think the upside is higher. But if somebody wanted to go with Naylor over Pasquantino, I think that would be fine. Yeah, and the two names we haven't really talked much about in this group are Josh Naylor and Encarnacion Strand. I really like Josh Naylor, man. He makes a ton of contact. He raised his launch angle this year. Uh, his max exit velocity is really impressive. He hit very well against left-handed pitching. And then Encarnacion Strand, I mean, this is someone we were clamoring for all season. And uh, when he got called up, a little bit of a slow start. His final 24 games, he hit 333 with nine homers, a 1055 OPS. I think the plate discipline needs some work, Scott. I mean, 29% strikeout rate. I don't love that for Encarnacion Tran, but uh, I'm very interested in both of those names. Yeah, and so I do think there is quite a difference between uh, the, the the points league rankings and the 5x5 five five rankings. We're talking about 5x5 five five rankings now, Roto rankings. Now where I have Encarnacion Strand. 15th because of the impact he can make in the home run category, especially given what he showed in September, but he's 18th. He's behind guys like Nate Lowe and Alec Bohm and Reese Hoskins and points leagues because of that poor plate discipline. I think it's going to hold him back in that format. Vinny Pasquantino's plate discipline is so good that I actually have him ahead of Spencer Torkelson in points leagues, but I think that's debatable. Yeah. Naylor, I, I don't know what kind of, so I only have 
one spot behind Pasquantino here. I'm one spot ahead of Christian and Carnassian Strand. I understand the justification for ranking him higher. The data likes him. The production, you know, in, in terms of per-game production for Josh Naylor this year, it was, uh, if we just do the points league thing, 3.22, which was about the same as Christian Walker. It was better than Spencer Steer, better than Spencer Torkelson, better than a lot of the first basemen I rank Josh Naylor behind. And I don't know. I, I just have... He was stuck in a platoon for so long, sitting against left-handers. That's not happening anymore. Okay, maybe he's cleared that hurdle. I, th- I think it just took him so long to uh, to become this that I, I'm I'm just kind of I just kind of have this instinct that tells me uh, okay, you can't really be sure he is this because we've seen so many versions of Josh Naylor that were less than this, you know. So I'm just a little bit hesitant to buy into it completely, uh, but I understand the enthusiasm for him. And not a perfect player either. He's kind of been injury prone. He's yet to play more than 122 games in a season. So that's a potential drawback to uh, Josh Naylor as well. The final five here, rounding out the top 20 first baseman for next year, Reese Hoskins at 16, followed by Ryan Mountcastle, Nate Lowe, Alec Bohm, and Isak Paredes. Just going to come out and say it, Scott. Not nearly as exciting as the previous group here, and uh, I guess potentially a tear break after that top 15. Uh, Reese Hoskins missed the season with a torn ACL. He turns 31 years old in March. He's a free agent this offseason. We don't really know where he's going to play, but he's been pretty consistent. I I think we pretty much know who Reese Hoskins is. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Uh, obviously coming back from a pretty serious injury and uh, we don't know if he's going to be back with the Phillies, if he's going to go somewhere else. There is this like catastrophic outcome for Hoskins, I think, where, okay, he's he's a really bad defender at first base and he bats right-handed at a position where most teams want a left-handed batter because, you know, left-handed batter, usually a left-handed thrower. Uh, and and their left-handed throwers can't play many places. First base is one of the few places they could play. So it's 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 always it's always a tough hurdle for right-handed sluggers who can only play first base. That that's always a tough hurdle to clear to get them in the majors. And so the fact Hoskins is a liability defensively, like he needs to be a stud hitter to justify him in an everyday role. I mean, you look at his WAR by year, not very good. For, for even though he's obviously we think of him as a productive fantasy player. So now he's on the open market coming back from a serious injury. Is there a chance he signs somewhere without the assurance of everyday at bats? Seems possible. I think it's I think it's more likely something that would happen in season. Like he signed somewhere for I don't know, let's say one year, 12 million million dollars for like a prove it deal. And he starts off as a starter, but he's so bad, he just kind of falls into a platoon role. It's something like that that would happen. I do agree there's a teardrop here. I think it's actually just before Christian Encarnacion Strand. So Josh Naylor at number 14 is like the last first baseman that I would be more or less happy to have as my number one first baseman. Uh, Not that I wouldn't be fine with Encarnacion Strand or Hoskins or Miles Castle as as a corner infielder. I think they're both, they're all fine for that. But it does feel like, you're you're putting yourself at a disadvantage if you make them your top first baseman. Uh, of course, Bohm is more likely to be drafted as a third baseman, and Isak Paredes maybe as well. 
I think the two. So we we more or less know what to expect from Hoskins. We don't know what team will be and if that might affect him. But we we more or less know what to expect statistically. I think same thing for Mountcastle, who continues to be held back by that deep left field fence in Camden Yards. The data makes it seem like he should be a stud power hitter, but he's kind of a middling power hitter because of that fence, and I don't think that's changing. Uh, we know what to expect from Bohm, I think, mostly, and we'll talk about him more at third base, I'm sure. It's really Nate Lowe and... Isak Paredes that I think might be the most divisive. Nate Lowe was pretty bad this year. <laughs> he was pretty bad. Yeah. Only hit 17 homers, uh, 262 batting average. And that was a, just a year after, remember, he broke through with a 302 batting average and 27 home runs. So a big drop from one year to the next. His numbers against left-handers especially just plummeted. He managed to remain a pretty good fantasy asset because he was in that Rangers lineup. And so 89 runs, 82 RBI, that helped a lot. But he, he kind of has, I, I think, like volume is such a big part of his value right now. And because he was so bad against left-handers on a team with clear playoff aspirations at a position where you can find plenty of alternatives, I wonder if he's going to slide into a platoon role next year and that'll make him not worth uh, not worth drafting even 18th where I have him at first base. Um, and then Isak Paredes, just, he was the, he won the weirdo, biggest weirdo award because of just somehow hitting 31 homers, even though he makes some of the weakest contact of any player who gets consistent at bats and he was a pretty good power hitter in 2022 as well so he may have just mastered that trick of pulling the ball in the air to maximize your power output but i mean if 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 it doesn't if that trick doesn't come through for him one year like it's it's going to be bad you don't want to be caught holding the bag because he's probably going to lose at bats very quickly on the raise and just be totally worthless for you so that's why i have him ranked as low as 20th isak paredes even though he deserves much better than that based on 2023 production. Yeah, I think that makes sense for both of those names, Nate Lowe and Isak Paredes. I think that there's enough interesting names like just ahead of this group where I'm probably not going to dip into that and I obviously have to do a little bit more research. Maybe there's even some names after this group that I, I find uh, more interesting as well, but I just can't. Justin Turner? You want Justin Turner over? <laughs> Depends on the team, Scott. Let's he, see where he's he next. He's next. <laughs> Uh, yeah, actually, technically, Salvador Perez is next, but you're obviously drafting him to catch. Yes, yes, 100%. All right, we're gonna wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five star rating on Apple or Spotify, and we will be back again on Thursday. Bye bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. 
We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.